Almost. Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I'm here. <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Harper Ward. Can you say hi? Hi. Awesome. Would you want to explain what we did this week? Yeah. Okay, what did we do? I did We went on a daddy-daughter trip, which in Harper speak means we went hiking. And we climbed a mountain, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, was it fun? Yeah. Cool. What else happened on the mountain? Do you uh, remember? Windy outside. It didn't rain on us. <laughs> oh, it was windy. Yeah. yeah, it was really windy. We got to the top of the mountain. It was super windy. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I just dropped my car and my money's. She had uh, this little toy car, this pink car that she got from Santa two years ago with her, and she had some money, and she was carrying that as I carried her in our backpack up the whole entire mountain. And it's not a giant mountain by any means. It's probably like two miles to the top, but when you're carrying an extra 40 pounds in <laughs> when you're carrying an extra 40 pounds in your back, it makes her quite the difference. And but to be fair, um. I. There's going to come a day very soon where she's not going to fit into our backpack. And I am going to be very sad when that happens. Right, Harper? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you want to talk? Who's our guest today? Who's on the podcast today? Um, we got you. Have, oh, no. Husky. Now I have Okay, She wants my headphones. Uh, on the podcast today is Shane Dowdy. We're going to talk a lot about football. Daddy, and the. And why football's important. Daddy, 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 Daddy. Here, here, you put them on. No. Okay. You, you have phones. This is going about as I expected. Uh, we're no, going to talk about... I'm putting my headphones on. All right, we're going to talk about football. It's going to be awesome. He's a coach in college. Football and- game. <laughs> And and he's a coach at college, and that's super ultra competitive, and um, you know it's impressive that he's he's now like an actual coach. He's gone from student assistant to GA to now a position coach for Division Two. I'm losing it over here in dad mode. Uh, let's just get to the podcast. So on this week, our uh, one of my best friends, my. I do. Uh, the best man at my wedding and football coach for Missouri s and Shane Dowdy. I wanted to have you on to specifically talk about what I have in my notes, and it just says, the struggle. Okay? <laughs> now, we were talking a little bit before this. You picked the probably one of the most competitive careers in the United States. Uh, the career of a college football coach, or just a football coach in general. Um, after right. Post-high school football coach. You also kind of started, I don't want to say at a disadvantage, but I'm going to use the word disadvantage, um, because you, yeah. didn't, you didn't play college football. And a lot of coaches you see played college football, they have the connections and all that, and you... Just dove feet first straight into the world of college football coaching. Yeah, that's. I mean, when you say connections, that becomes the big, the big thing with, with really anything in life. But 
college football coaching, it comes down to, they always used to tell me it's who do you know, but really it's who knows you. And the best way for that to happen is to play college football somewhere at any level. And it doesn't matter if it's in Iowa or Florida or California or Division Two or Division One. Those connections are what get you in the door. And, and we'll get to it, but the way I, I was fortunate enough to, to gain some of those connections are just really – I don't. I'm not necessarily a big believer in luck, but I was sort of uh, lucky in a lot of ways for those connections to to come about and and get my foot in the door. And the other thing I'll say just quickly is, it's you said it. It, it is competitive. It's really hard to get into college football, and people don't always necessarily understand that. Uh, you know, growing up, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I thought maybe I'd be an airline pilot, which is another career that takes years and years to, to get into and advance through. And like the people that go into these careers that take lots of training and lots of years of patience and working your tail off, um, you know, whether it's being a doctor or a dentist, and certainly I'm not, I'm not, uh, as smart as any one of those types of people, but it takes just an unwavering amount of persistence and just a driven uh, just attitude of on a day-to-day basis to do it. So I mean, it, it almost takes, start. yeah, it almost takes you being, you just, you have the goal in mind and nothing is going to get in your way to stopping that goal. Cause I'm sure, man, I'm sure you face many obstacles, many people, you know, wondering, is this for you? <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, can can he actually keep doing this? And is this actually a path that's going to work out? And, you know, just from kind of following you, following your career, I'd say at this point, it's a path that's going to work out no matter what. Like, I, there's no more doubts that you're going to stick with this. Um, no more doubts as to whether or not you're actually going to be able to find work. Um, so it's kind of cool that you've made it. And so I guess it's kind of start us from the beginning. Uh, just how did you get into football, man? You're like the biggest football fan I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because, and I was thinking about this earlier, is it, it's such a simple question, right? How, how did you get into football? Where does your love for football begin? And it's, it's just there's so many things that go into that question. Uh, which you understand, Chris. I mean, you played football. You played uh, from the time you were little all the way up into your first year of college. So in, in the things that you experience from when you're a little kid in the middle school and then high school and then for you in the college, they're, just, they're so different. The experiences are so different from each other. Um, but I remember specifically uh, – Starting tackle football. I'm going to take us back to tackle football. Dude. Uh, fifth grade. Red fifth Raiders? Grade, uh, the, the Red Raiders. We were on the same we, team. Uh, <laughs> we, we were on the same team, believe it or not. Yeah, that was. And so, and that's like, that's the cool part about football. Like, here we are, you know, you're one of my absolute best friends. And here we are at almost 30 years old, which is crazy to think about. But we remember being on the Red Raiders where, you know, you barely fit into your pads and 
and you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just running around, and you're just, you're just having fun. Oh, yeah. You're just having fun. But the thing about football is if if you buy into it and you allow it to, to do the things that it can do, which I think it can do just a ton of things, uh, it can, you know, develop your character and make you a better person and all that, um, it's – It'll take you a long ways. And even if you just go through high school football, which is what I did, um, for me, a big part of that was the, the football from the Red Raiders to uh, playing at Central Middle School to being a Muscatine Muskie, which when you, when you grow up in Muscatine and there's one high school and you go to a game on Friday night, as a middle school, seventh, eighth grader, all you do is screw around. As you know, you just screw around, and, and you're there with your friends, and you have a good time. But then you look, and you watch a game here and there, and you're like, wow, I want to be that guy. I want to be, you know, everybody wants to be the quarterback, obviously. But <laughs> any one of those guys, any one of those guys. And so football, it puts, it puts things kind of in perspective of, hey, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. And football is such a delayed gratification thing as well. Is uh, you work out all throughout the year. You know, you do the running, you do the weights, you do the the morning workouts that suck, and you play. You know, between nine and say twelve games a year, depending on the level of football that you play. And all for, I mean, all that work for nine to, to twelve games. So I think the, the lessons that were brought upon me as as a young kid with football just completely outweighed what i what i gained from playing say baseball which i enjoyed thoroughly as well um but just to fast forward a little bit uh i really fell in love with the college game uh really kind of out of nowhere in a way but as i went into high school uh, you and i chris we became really you became my best friend and from there uh, your dad was was a huge Hawkeye fan, as were you. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, the thing is, like, I wasn't a college football guy. I watched the Green Bay Packers every Sunday, and I was an NFL uh, just junkie, I guess. I could give you all the stats and whatnot. And all of a sudden, your dad was, was taking you up to games, and you were having me come along, and, and I'd spend the, the 10 or $15. That's back when, you know, Kirk Ferentz was just getting started. And they hadn't gone to an Orange Bowl, and they hadn't done all that. And Kyle McCann <laughs> was their quarterback with, um, you know, Aaron Grebbing was a running back. I'm trying to think of all these old names now. I can't even remember them. All I remember is they played, we went to an Indiana game, they played Antoine randall and he just, like, sprinted around all over. Ever seen oh, it was life. crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> just, just a freak show of a guy. And uh, not surprised that he, you know, he did well in the NFL but anyway, you know, to get into an Iowa game at $10, $15 and, and tag along with you and your dad, all of a sudden I, I just formed this, I guess, love of, of college football uh, probably as a freshman in high school. Uh, so college football and then, you know, in particular the Iowa Hawkeyes became a huge part of, of my life there as a ninth grader. It wasn't something, you know, a lot of people – they become Hawkeye fans when they come out of the room. For me, it was my <laughs> freshman year of high school. Yeah, man. So that's that's where that's that's like the very beginnings of, of football and and the kind of the 
you know, how did you become interested in college football and Iowa Hawkeyes and all that? Like, that's just one aspect of that question. Yeah. Do you, okay, so you, I, I'm going to call you out right now because you committed, oh. you committed a college football crime and now you're a college football yeah. coach. So I'm calling okay. you out on this, dude. Do you remember when Iowa was playing Akron? And it was halftime. <laughs> and they were kicking balls like the kickers were out of the field. And a ball just, they didn't have the net up. So it flew into the stands. And you dove backwards and you knocked over an old lady. And, <laughs> and you got the Akron football and you like put it under your shirt. And then I remember there's like the GAs or someone the managers coming up into the stands looking for it and you're like don't look dude don't look right. the football <laughs> do you still have that football <laughs> I, I don't remember any of this well no, yes you I, do no way you don't remember you that. know what's funny about that though Chris is I I, I feel terrible about about kind of running into the lady of course um, <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of impact it really was you saw it I, I felt it it was a pretty uh, big hit, man. She was like my biggest fan in terms of like keep the football, keep the football. That's right. So yeah. I was I was like, wow, I just nailed this this old lady that was not <laughs> expecting this at all and she's happier than heck for me to keep the football. So, uh I do remember that. I do have the Akron football. Nice. It was like it was like gold to me. Like that's that's how like infatuated with the with the game I was like Akron the University of Akron I've got a football from Akron. it was not only that it was a kicking ball so it's it's one of those just crappy you know <laughs> that's a bad football but it had not even their logo just kind of like it said Akron gold lettering Akron yeah you got peer pressured by so like yeah, a 70 year old possession oh yeah dude it was i just remember always going to your uh house and by your computer it would be sitting there the akron ball <laughs> and inevitably everybody would be like hey let's go let's go throw around the ball and they grab that one and i'd be like no 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 that's that a one doesn't go outside you're like that's a real one we can throw on this fake <laughs> walmart one all day um, We're gonna take this rubber ball out there and play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have any memories from, you know, your your? I guess. Do you have any memories of the first day you put on pads, and they told you to run up and tackle somebody? I, I don't have the vivid memory of that. I've got memories that stick out, such as. Uh, just being nervous as heck about going to uh, when they size you up and fit you up for pads. You know, they weigh you in, they take your height, and they say, okay, you're going to wear this size shoulder pad, so on and so forth. And I was just thinking to myself, football is, as Norm Parker used to say, it's a tough game for tough people. The late Norm Parker was a DC at the defensive coordinator at Iowa, as you know, Chris. Yeah. Um, anyway. It's a it's a tough game for tough people, and as a fifth grader, I had not even played flag football, so I was like, I was in serious questioning mode, I guess if you will. Am I tough enough to play this? Can I handle this? Like I've seen the movies, I've seen the shows, you know, the coaches yell and they scream. This isn't you know this isn't baseball where you get a bat, you hit a ball, and you feel the ball, you throw a ball, and it's all fun and games. No, this is physical contact where you're going to tackle and be tackled and 
So I, I seriously question, could I do it? Even as a fifth grader, where you're supposed to have no worries in the world. Uh, but the things that do stick out as a fifth grader are those, you know, those old school drills that they probably still do them where you, you know, you lay down on your back, yeah. you helmet to helmet, they blow the whistle, you get up and you tackle the other guy. Uh, those, those types of things I, I do remember, you know, the old school stuff that, that volunteer coaches, uh, and, and thank God for those guys. I mean, those guys did a heck of a job. Uh, you know, like it sounds cliche or corny, but like, I remember, I remember those guys, uh, Bob Bailey, Bob Bailey, head coach. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I couldn't even tell you what Bob Bailey's doing right now. He's a like, civil engineer. Without Bob Bailey as being like a decent human being, like he could have ran us all out of football forever. Yeah. Like, that was his power. And he didn't like, he was, he was awesome. Um, Aaron Grady's, you know, the late, you know, uh, Kyle Grady, the late Kyle Grady was awesome. Oh, for Kyle sure. Kyle was part of that staff. Zach Wells' uh, dad. Zach Wells' dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't, we don't forget these things. Oh, dude, it's uh, like Johnny ingrained Johnny in our memories. Too, right? Yeah. It's just crazy. It's absolutely, and, and, and that was just our team. You know, there was how many ever other teams, and I know it's expanded, but there was, what, three to five other teams that it was, you know, people's dads or people that just loved to, to get out and coach fifth and sixth grade football. Yeah, man. And it's, so that's, that's where it began, and, and it just kind of kept going from there. Awesome, man. So, okay, so then you went into high school, and um, you didn't really you didn't really start till senior year, really, right? Yeah, you, the, the way it worked out was freshman year, I, I, was, I was like everybody, you know, like everybody, you, you go into high school, and your eyes are are just huge like you're looking at everything you're looking at your surroundings you're looking at the school you're trying to figure out who you are um you know certainly there's there's you're you're a freshman in, in high school and you've got junior and senior girls running around and you're like wow you know, <laughs> can i can i go to the prom this year with her um <laughs> how did that work out for you out things in life right and you can't drive so heck no you're not going to any prom uh, <laughs> But anyway, to answer your question, didn't play almost at all my freshman year. I got the you know the pink dress award as, as Paul Hine used to give out, uh, which nowadays would probably be like a crime to say. But that's you know that's what we were brought up in. What's the, wait, um, wait wait wait? What's the pink dress award? The pink dress award is when you don't physically be tough enough to take on a block, <laughs> make a block, tackle a guy down, and. It's probably the, the the politically incorrect way of calling a kid out for not being tough enough. Dude, that would be on like um, CNN nowadays, and like parents yeah, would be weeping exactly, openly. You're exactly right, and <laughs> that has nothing to do with whether I agree with it or not. I no, don't use true, that true, 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 because I don't believe it empowers kids. But at the same time, like I was never offended. I got pissed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so freshman year, I didn't do anything but earn that award a few times. Sophomore year, I thought I could be a quarterback. That was, that was That's not right. happening. So I ended up starting as a defensive back dang near the, the whole year once I converted over uh, our third game of the season. And junior year, uh, my first year of varsity, nothing, like not even special teams. I, I was lost. I didn't know what I could do, and then I wasn't doing a whole lot. And then uh, – Fast forwarding into senior year of high school, it was my year to shine. In my in my opinion, that you know, like 
that was the time where I could go out and be a contributor, be a part of the, the playoff teams that we had started to, to build and put together at Muscatine High School uh, under John H. and Brian Souser, John Pilcher, uh, Marcus Howard, you know, all, all the good coaches that we had. Yeah. And by good, I mean very good. Were Dude, really and good you, were, you were smashing people senior year. You were hitting harder and than anyone the, on the team, I thought. The greatest thing, though, Chris, that ever happened to me is I wouldn't have been that person or that player that was smashing people or, or just the tough guy persona that I tried to have at 170 pounds. It wouldn't have happened if what happened before the season didn't happen. I went through the whole offseason of workouts, put on the weight, got stronger, got faster, and we get in the camp, go through camp, get into the first day of pads. I'm coming off the field, and my mom is there as I'm coming off the field, which is a weird deal. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and she's with, with uh, Coach Each, our, our varsity coach, and she says, Shane, you've got mono, which is that's, that's a typical deal for a young guy is to have mono, which is, the, you know, whatever it is, the kissing disease or whatever they call it. <laughs> uh, though I wasn't kissing many people, so I don't know how I got it. Um, but anyway, what it means, I get the serious, but what it means is you can't play because you have an enlarged, what, spleen? Yeah, is that what it's it is? your spleen, yeah. Yeah, so, so all of a sudden I'm going to miss games one, and two because it happened early enough in, in camp i think yeah it was just games one and two so it was davenport north and davenport assumption uh i couldn't have any contact couldn't practice couldn't do anything so inevitably i lost 12 pounds if i remember right and i stood and i watched practice and i was just miserable and all of a sudden like the miserable feeling turned into uh i can't wait to get out there. I see friends, I see teammates that are groaning and, and, and mumbling under their breath about not wanting to do the conditioning, not wanting to go to practice in the locker room saying, I can't wait to be done with today. And I was saying to myself, I can't wait till I can have today. And it, it sounds, again, it's one of those, things, you know, okay, that sounds kind of corny or whatever, but uh, the week of Burlington, I had a limited role. They put me on kickoff. And one defensive series into the game, our starting corner missed a tackle. I went in, and I never lost a starting job from there. That's awesome, man. Dude, it teaches you so much. Football, man, we can get into this whole discussion if you want to real quick. But what do you, what do you think about the whole concussion thing? Because parents are pulling kids out of football um, based off of you know all the research coming out. Right. Yeah, I, I'm in between. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say indifferent because that implies maybe I don't care, and I certainly do. They, the studies suggest, the experts, the doctors, the people that, that know their stuff, um, the studies suggest that it's not high school football. It's not high school football. It's not even necessarily college football, though I do believe college football uh, starts to begin some of this stuff. It's the guys that play professionally for years and years and years. So it's, it's the compounding effect of playing from, say, you know, that fifth and sixth grade football through middle school into high school, three, four, five years of college ball, and then playing another three to ten years of, of professional football. Well, that starts to make sense. 
That starts to make sense. Yeah. But if you play just through high school, I won't even get into college. If you just play through high school, like I couldn't, I can't even imagine uh, myself or my closest friends, you included, like what we would have missed out on if we didn't learn some of those those lessons that weren't around some of the those coaches and just spending days and hours and, and minutes and minutes and minutes of the metabolic circuit on Wednesdays and Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays, however they, they switched it around on us a few different times. We were talking about that uh, before before we started recording. The metabolic circuit is essentially like <laughs> twenty five different exercises and of hell. Of hell. It was hell, man. And you did like 30 sec. You did three sets of like 30 seconds or something. And it was everything from dips to weighted squats to burpees or whatever, man. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> it was and out of this world. I remember crazy. before senior year, I, I was doing in the midst of metabolic circuit. And I sprinted out of the weight room and just barfed everywhere and then looked up and all the cheerleaders were standing right there like doing their cheerleading practice so it was Does that include the the uh the misses now the future mrs ward yeah man i impressed her with my with my projectileness like I, it, it went pretty far couldn't not have been more impressed <laughs> she couldn't have been more impressed <laughs> Yeah, and do you remember when uh, we were doing, we did that, we did metabolic circuit, and then we did sprints in the gym, and right afterwards, our friend Adam Cruz was like, dude, or he just started, like, I don't want to get too gross, but he started puking everywhere too, and uh, yeah, we drove him home, and then I left him at his house and drove back to the high school, and I remember you called me like, hey, the ambulance is at Cruz's house right now, because he had heat exhaustion <laughs> yeah so yeah, I was, that that you know those <clears throat> i'm trying to be uh, an advocate of high school football so heating thompson <laughs> um, which can happen to anybody anywhere doing anything if it gets too hot you're not hydrated so i blame adam cruz for not being hydrated and not staying cool enough oh that's nothing to do with high school football <laughs> Um, I'm going to send him this and be like, Shane's football. blaming you, man. <laughs> <laughs> high school, I watched, excuse me, I watched a, a, just a tremendous TEDx talk uh, two nights ago, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, which I really recommend. And I recommend it so much, I don't even remember the guy's name. What was, uh, the, what was the title? The, the, the title has something to do about, like, the importance of playing high school football. And it's a guy from... I don't know that he's from Canada. I think he might be, but he played Canadian League football for, you know, nearly a decade. And he talks about some things that are just, you can't even, they're not debatable. They are, they are to me, fact. They're just fact. And, and you think about it, there's a spot for everybody on the football team. Good, bad, I, I mean, I'm going to just say, I'm going to say it. White, black, poor, rich, skinny, yep. overweight. Uh, good eyesight, bad eyesight, strong, weak, fast, slow. There's a spot for you. There's like 80-some spots on the field when you put it all together with special teams to get on the field and feel like somebody, somebody contributing to a team, somebody contributing to something bigger than yourself, 
somebody that's contributing to just just something that you would not have the ability to do or contribute to otherwise. So high school football is, I think it's one of the greatest things in the world. Obviously, I am, I am absolutely biased. Um, you know, going back to your original question, and I won't go off on a tangent this time. The no, go off on a believe. Yeah, as many tangents <laughs> as you want. <laughs> I believe the concussion thing, and I did watch the movie uh, with Will Smith. I think it's a tremendous, I think it's a tremendous acting job by Will Smith. Uh, which most are, except for Wild Wild West. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about uh, Men anyway, in Black 2? Men in Black 2 is pretty terrible. But, sorry. Don't recall it because I tried to forget it because I did like <laughs> Men in Black 1. Yeah. The second uh, one was garbage. Will Smith is tremendous in the movie Concussion. I think the movie Concussion leads you to believe, though, that in some cases with some of their scenes that youth and or high school football is dangerous. Youth in high school football, by and large, is not dangerous. That's not what gives people the CTE. Uh, it's not. It's not killing you. They likened it to smoking cigarettes. That that kills me. It absolutely kills me to hear that. Uh, football is like the great equalizer in our life. It's where you have abilities, um, or you have the opportunities rather to. You know, uh, if you're a shelter, you know, maybe not in Muscatine, say, but say somewhere else where if you're a sheltered, rich, white boy, you might end up playing next to, you know, an African-American kid that has no parents. Yeah. Maybe he's not African-American. Maybe he's just a white kid. It don't matter. Like, somebody you wouldn't necessarily come to have a relationship with otherwise. And so I believe football is... I just think it's it's one of those deals where it gives you a leg up on anybody who's not doing it. It's an equalizer. It makes it a level playing field for anybody who's stepping onto the field. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, what your parents do or how much money you have. Like once you step on the field, everyone's equal, and then um, you know. You get a form related. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, man. There's so many lessons. Like that is a major lesson you could learn from the sport of football. But that's only like 0.1 percent of all the lessons you can <laughs> learn playing the sport. It's that's, you that's, know that's why football so great. Like we just talked about one aspect, and it's it's a huge aspect, but yet it's only one of the the. It's just one of the many. Like it's that's only one of the many lessons or aspects of the game of football and coming together as a team and working as a team that, that you learn and that you're around and, and that you see and you're a part of, you feel it. That's just one of the, that's just one of them. Yeah. That's it. That's just one of them. Cause I mean, if I was thinking as a parent now, um, and I don't have a son at this point, <laughs> but if I was to have a son, if I would I put him in the sport of football, you have the whole concussion thing as like a as a con, but as a pro you have you know, he would learn the benefits of hard work, the benefits of showing up every single day and being consistent with with practice and being consistent with 
going to weightlifting and training and all those hours like you don't actually get a witness unless you're actually on a football team um the biggest lesson of all in my opinion is how to deal with failure i mean chances are you're going (laughs) to be on a team where at some point you're going to go through failure and how are you going to do when you go through that are you going to be a poor sport about it or are you going to learn your lessons and you know be able to move on and that's such a huge lesson you could you can teach a kid through the idea of any sport really but i think since football's a team sport and you're in it with a group of people you really can start to learn those lessons a little bit easier because you see every single person on the team's different reactions to it you know <laughs> And you can learn. Absolutely, you can learn from the failure thing is huge. The failure thing Absolutely. is so huge, and you know, I guess my idea is, you also learn from the other people you're surrounded with. So you'll maybe see someone on the team who's not handling it in the right way, like throwing his helmet or cussing out the coach, like, and you learn from that example too, of what not to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's huge, man. It's such it, a, it's such a good. It's such a good way to learn those lessons. Like, I feel like I wouldn't be the person I am now if I hadn't gone through the whole football experience. And to, to kind of add on to, like, the failure part, I, I, I actually kind of was going to go in that direction. Uh, but to, to add on to what you just said is here we are, you and me, Chris, talking on the phone and talking on this podcast right now that look at these lessons look what we learned from football well you and me we played football together from what fifth grade through senior year of high school correct yeah and so the last time we were on a field together was just over 12 years ago and we share so many experiences, not only on the field, not only during games, but in the weight room. Um, before games on a Friday, you and I would go to Subway. Um, you know, I'd get a meatball sub and Doritos and, you know, just the ultimate pregame meal, you know. Me, you, and uh, Travis Steffen, too. I got to throw Travis in there. <laughs> Travis Steffen as well, yes. yes. Uh, the three of us making excellent pregame decisions with Subway meatball, well, for me anyway, meatball uh, sub sandwiches and Doritos. But those things, you know, again, we're, we're almost 30, which is, is, again, hard to believe. But I don't for a second believe that at 50 in 20 years from now, we couldn't have the same conversation about some of the same exact things and say, yeah, I remember this experience and what I learned from it and this guy or this coach or this player or this uh, specific time. Like, what else, like, what else brings those things in such vivid form back to your memory? I don't know of anything that is as close to football. You know, the, the experiences of just even after a game, the day after a game, talking about your experiences, getting on the radio, you and Travis getting on the radio, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the things that you do, and in particular, as, as we're talking about it, you know, high school football, I, I couldn't be more of an advocate for high school football. Forget any other, you know, forget college football for a second. 
high school football, I think, and I true, I don't even think, I truly believe this. It makes people better future college students, better future employees, better future husbands, better future anything. Uh, as long as, as long as obviously you're buying into the whole concept of team and what can I do to to make myself better and ultimately the team better and just the camaraderie and and everything that goes along with it it makes you a better person a hundred times over yeah oh definitely man you're coming out of there with some sort of benefit for your life um let's move on for a second to uh, yeah like coaching now so you you (laughs) you, we we ended up coaching together too for like one year right or did you do two years we we coached together for one year and and technically technically not together technically in the football world technically not together and technically in the football world one year doesn't always equal a full calendar year (laughs) but yes we coached together for for almost dang near one year but one full football season and at to this day uh i've had tremendous experiences in football in in particular with coaching football but that first year of coaching brought me lessons and experiences and so much more that i'll take with me for forever it was just awesome it was tremendous what what kind of lessons well first (laughs) first of all uh as we go through this I, i don't know what your viewership in terms of how many people listen to this are but there's there's as we go through this there's there's certain names that i would feel bad uh if i didn't say certain names because they are that big or that important in my life uh so like brian souser uh, as we both know brian uh or as we as we would refer to him as souser uh just tremendous i mean souser's a guy you either hate him or you love him. There's not really an in-between. Uh, that's just who he is. Uh, for, for us, and certainly uh, for me, I, I love the guy. I know you do, too. Oh, yeah. Um, he gets the job at Iowa City West, as you and I are, are uh, well, really entering our second semester of our junior year in college at the University of Iowa. And... You and you and Brian had a better relationship than I did. I was just a, I was just a player, kind of playing football. I, I didn't I didn't seek out the coaches, uh, which I should have more looking back at it. But I didn't understand, you know, what the coaches could ultimately do for me. Uh, but Souser was a guy that I had started to build more of a relationship with after playing for him. Uh, part of that is, as you know, Souser's. I mean, he's the guy that. Gosh, you don't want him yelling at you. You don't want him on. Uh, he was an intimidating guy, still is. Uh, but <laughs> as I, you get onto the varsity squad, he's the guy that you want to please. You don't want to displease him. So can, anyway, can I tell you real uh, quick? The biggest ass chewing yeah. I ever got from Coach Souser was when I was. Time co- of No, that was that was pretty bad though. But you're right. That was where I had like three bad snaps over the quarterback's head. And he like kicked my shoulder pad, <laughs> but oh yeah, he booted him. He booted him pretty far, man. It was a pretty good kick. But um, I, it was when I was coaching actually, and I can't remember exactly why I got yelled at. But I remember I flew down to Arizona 
to meet my dad for the Iowa Arizona game. And my dad's friend is picking me up from the airport. Like I've never met this guy before, you know. Uh, didn't have a relationship, you know. Had never, right. have never even seen this guy. This guy named Jeremy, and he picks me up at the airport, and I get a phone call. And I guess like the day before at practice, I for we I don't want to say me, but me and the other coaches forgot to tell all the freshmen something. And I answer the phone, and it's just so many f bombs instantly (laughs) come my way and i'm Uh, trying to like play it off cool because i'm with this other dude and i'm trying to play it off like "Uh uh-huh yep uh uh-huh oh yeah no problem no problem (laughs) you know and uh i hung up the phone and the the jeremy who picked me up just looked at me he's like you got cussed out huh and i was like yeah (laughs) but i mean i love salzer so much and i respect i respect him so much he did so much for our program in high school and so much for iowa city west and i'm sure i don't know the school he's at now it's in somewhere in oklahoma but man he he just is fully committed to every kid on his team and i remember after our last game senior year talking about like the failure thing most like every team except one team in the state is going to end in failure you know you're going to lose and you're or you're not going to make the yeah. playoffs so we ended up losing by definition when you lose you fail so yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and we uh we lost and i got hurt that game like had a minor fracture in my ankle and i just remember after the game walking up and he gave me a big hug and just said you know how much he loved having me on the team and you know how much he enjoyed coaching me and stuff like that and it just instantly calmed me down so Definitely just one of the most amazing guys on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like, I don't know if this is the best way to, to make an analogy, but it's like, you know, when you start, when you, when you first start to drink beer, <laughs> uh, it's that flavor that you just like, whoa, what the hell is this? But Souser's an acquired taste of how the hell do I handle this guy? How can... How do I communicate? How do I be around him? But as you get to know him, as he gets to know you, as you form a relationship with him, uh, as with all good coaches, or even, uh, I'll take it a step above that, exceptional or great coach. Dude, he was for sure a great coach, for sure. He's he's he's, he's he's just an exceptional coach. And really, I would want... Anybody that listens to this to know that he is a fantastic guy. And yes, it is an acquired taste. Yes, you probably love him or hate him, but he's got in his mind a way of doing things and he's going to do it that way. And that is ultimately why he has been as successful as he's been. That's why. Yeah. Oh, and it's always he's unwavering in that. It's always looking out for what's best for his players, too. It, yes, absolutely. As as a player, sometimes you don't always know that. Always in life, you know, it's like the hindsight. Uh, you know, um, looking back, it's always twenty twenty, right? You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Looking back at your time with Salzer as a player or as a coach, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I get that now. <laughs> okay, I can see where he was coming from. As a player, you're like, what an asshole. Why why is this guy? yelling and screaming and acting uh just like a complete madman but uh just just a tremendous guy and an excellent football coach and 
Yeah. So anyway, so he gave us back. he gave us jobs. <laughs> well, but here's the thing, and this is why you know I, I we both kind of went off our, our on our separate you know Brian Salzer, how we love him and, and what he's done for us. Um, Salzer brings us, uh, you know, he brings us aboard, and uh, we're part of this Iowa City West program, which to us was foreign. I mean, you and I, Chris, we'd go out on their field, and we'd throw around the football, or we'd run, and, and we'd do whatever. And we'd talk about, you know, college and, and life and this, that, or the other. But when, when Salzer took the job there, he said, absolutely, come on board and and, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to be or who I'm going to retain from, from this old staff that had done a terrible job, by the way. Uh, no offense to them. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, essentially. So I was looking at, I remember this, I, I was looking at being a volunteer freshman football coach for him. And I couldn't have been happier. Like, I couldn't have been more stoked or jacked or however you want to put it. I was so freaking excited to be a freshman volunteer coach at Iowa City West. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember going through the off-season workouts in the weight room and, and some of the crazy stuff he'd come up with for, for uh, workouts and conditioning outside. Still remember to this day, there's these, these, these things that you always remember um, and I remember you actually coming to me before him and talking to me about this. And I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe you because I, I, there's no reason why I wouldn't trust you, but it, it had to come from him for me to believe it. So anyway, at least it gave me a heads up that he was going to bring it up. So here's what happened halfway through the summer. And so by that, I mean, we're talking sometime in July, he comes up to me as we're on the field outside early in the morning at one of our normal you know, probably Wednesday workouts, whatever it was. And he goes, Shane, I'm going to have you coach linebackers. Never played linebacker. Didn't know how to coach linebackers. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, coach, coach Salzer, I, you know, I'm, I played DB, I played receiver. I've been here and there at some other spots growing up, but really, you know, with the freshmen, I think you're probably better keeping me as a DB coach or receivers coach or both, obviously, once you're, you know, in the high school level. And uh, but I said, listen, you know, I didn't even say that. I, I just told myself, shut up and, and take the job. And so he's like, but I want you to do it with the sophomore team. And in Iowa, it goes freshman, sophomore, varsity. Um, so I go, absolutely, yeah, I would love to coach linebackers. I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't know what I don't know. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, who's going to – and I, and, I, and you had told me the possibility of being the defensive coordinator then for the sophomores. So I played it off as being kind of dumb to, to Salzer. I go, who's going to be the defensive coordinator? And he, he gave me one of those, those kind of smart-ass comments. Uh, he's like, well, you are dumbass or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't want to say that's exactly what he said. But something along those lines of, well, who the hell else is going to do it? You're going to do it. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, that makes sense. And now I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to coach linebackers, which I've never played linebacker, could take you through a drill maybe at that time, maybe just one drill and, and be comfortable with it, which would have been like a pass drop drill and easy, like, you know, hey, drop at a 45-degree angle, I'm going to throw you this football type thing. Um, 
And now all of a sudden, I'm not only going to do that, but I'm going to call the defense. So I was, in a way, in a way, in over my head. But those are the situations generally where you learn the most, especially when you look back on it and you say, "Wow, holy crap! I didn't know. I didn't know anything. How did I survive?" Yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, going from the possibility of, okay, yeah, you're going to volunteer and likely make so volunteers so likely make no money coach freshmen do what i asked you to do to all of a sudden you're going to coach linebackers and be our sophomore defensive coordinator and um uh you know be on the the field on friday night since you're traveling with the team anyway signaling in place for the varsity defense and you're going to be while well, the defensive coordinator at the time it was hawkins uh was going to be up in the box you're going to be these eyes in the sky, you're, you're the eyes on the field, and you're going to communicate with the defense on the field. And I was just like, wow, this is this is the big time. Like, this is cool. I mean, this is 4A football in Iowa. And say what you will or what you want about Iowa football, but especially now, Iowa City West and 4A football in Iowa is as big as it gets. So it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And that was, that was my start, and, and gosh dang, we, we didn't win a game at the varsity level. We were 0-10 or 0-9, however it works out. I can't remember. I think it was 0-9. 0-9 or 0-10. Yeah, 0-9. And, and uh, yeah, you're right, 0-9 and 2-7 and as a sophomore squad. So needless to say, uh, the wins didn't necessarily come right away for us. But, man, I, I that was the in so many ways it was one of the most enjoyable experiences i've had coaching football certainly one of the most fulfilling experiences yeah so when did you decide from there i want to do this this i want this to be my career well excuse me so let me let me rewind just for a second and i and i won't i promise i won't go off on a tangent but um my freshman year at the university of iowa so (laughs) I'm going to try not to go off on a tangent. Interrupt me if I start to go in the complete wrong direction. No, no, no. I love tangents, dude. (laughs) I was a freshman at the University of Iowa in my dorm, uh, the the quad, quadrangle, which is now sadly torn down. Not sadly. No, 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 no. Not sadly. (laughs) That place needed to be torn down. They just needed to spray, like, whatever. Condemned. (laughs) Yeah. They needed to condemn that place years ago. I actually don't disagree with that, but there's some nostalgia there, obviously, that you would you would like to be able to take your kids someday back there. Like this is where I lived for for me for for a semester. Um, so, which leads me into what I was going to say is two things happened that first semester. I, at some point during that first semester, I decided, uh, uh-uh, I, I I you know I love Iowa City. I love the University of Iowa. Contrary to popular belief in terms of fellow Muscatine students up there or newly found friends in the hallway or uh, people, friends, family, whatever, back in Muscatine, I want to leave and I'm going to go back home for a semester to MCC, Muscatine Community College. I'm going to live at home. Well, most of the time, the people that do that well, why do they do that? Obviously, most of the time, it's because they failed out, they weren't making grades, and they couldn't handle it. Uh, fortunately, I didn't let that ever bother me. That, that was never something that bothered I, I was. I had a 
GPA my freshman semester at Iowa. I was doing exceptionally well in the classroom. Uh, had I not bombed the psychology midterm, I probably would have had a 3 6, 3 7. Um, anyway, so what I'm saying is I left Iowa for a specific reason, and I haven't told uh, more than maybe a half dozen or so people this. I left to go home to get on a workout plan and a diet plan where I could put on, you know, I was skinny, so I needed to put on weight, but. Uh, I wanted to be between 178 and 185 pounds. Okay, I was very specific with that. I was going to work out three to four days a week. I was going to run two days a week. And I was just going to get in phenomenal shape because I wanted to go somewhere and play football. So that was, my, that was why I did it. I left because I was going to go play some, somewhere at some level I wanted to play football. And um, so that – and I could circle back around to that. But anyway – uh, that's why I left Iowa after one semester. But also the biggest and most important thing of that first semester at Iowa was I met a guy, which, which you've met him a few times, Mark DeLeon. And again, I said I throw out some names here. Mark DeLeon, is, he's, a, he's a crazy guy, um, but he has had as much or uh, maybe the most influence on my career as anybody uh, Mark DeLeon's dad at the time was the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. He had been the offensive coordinator at uh, Syracuse. He had coached Donovan McNabb. He'd been in the NFL with a few teams, the Dolphins and, and a couple others. Uh, he's currently, well, no, he was at UConn. He's been just, he's been all over. His dad had been all over, and Mark and I hit it off in that we were complete college football junkies. Uh, we knew everything about everything, at least we thought we did. And Mark lived right above me in uh, my beloved quad dorm. Uh, he, he had AC and I didn't. That was the biggest difference. But anyway, <laughs> Mark and I, Mark and I would, would just talk football and play NCAA on, um, I can't remember if he had an Xbox or a PlayStation. doesn't matter, but it's irrelevant. Uh, we'd play every so often and I stopped playing him because he's the only he's the only guy I couldn't ever beat, which which really irritated me. But anyway, he was nice enough and, and a good enough person to do some good things for me that first semester. He took me to Green Bay, got me on the field where I got to meet That's Aaron right. Rodgers and the bus. And the bus, yeah. I mean, we did some cool stuff. We went up to Evanston and watched Northwestern beat Iowa late on an onside kick, which was terrible. Um, Anyway, we hit it off, and then I left Iowa. And all of a sudden, like, Mark and I's relationship was, that was kind of it. Like, we stayed in touch a little bit. We talked here and there. But he got more and more involved with the Iowa football program, which was his intent from the beginning. That's why he went to Iowa from, from Syracuse, New York, was to go there to get into coaching because of his dad's relationship with Kirk Ferentz. So anyway, um, as time went on, uh, I eventually transferred back to Iowa, say to myself, basically, I love football, but I'm not going to play. At this point, I've made my decision. I should have done it out of, out of high school if I wanted to do it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to find a major and a career that fits me and something that can make me happy. And essentially, I just... For, a solid two years, I wavered back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Couldn't figure it out. And at about the same time that 
Brian Souser got the Iowa City West job, I had sent out probably somewhere between 25 and 40 emails to college football coaches as like a junior now trying to catch on and play football somewhere to end my college career. So like I, there was the bug again to try to play. Dude, can I say this? And I lived yeah. with, we were roommates and really close friends and I didn't know this. I didn't know this whole trying to play college football thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not something, you know, I shared it with, with a few people, but it was something I kept to myself because I just, you know, I was driven to do something, and I wanted to be successful, and I didn't want to put it out there that, oh, I'm going to go play college football and then not do it. Well, and so there's that aspect, yeah. but have you, man, what was I watching? I don't want to also say TED Talks, but... <laughs> I think it was a TED Talk. Uh, it was about the... You know how some people, if they set a goal, like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, they'll tell everybody yeah. they know. Everyone right. they know knows that person's going to lose 20 pounds, right? And, and so, you know, it's to hold themselves accountable. Like, oh, crap, if I don't lose 20 pounds now, everyone's going to know I didn't, you know, I didn't follow my diet. But... Right. So this TED Talk is about the antithesis that's right big word <laughs> the antithesis yeah. of that idea it's it's about not telling anybody your goals and how that can make you more successful because um if you tell people your goals i'm gonna lose 20 pounds or i'm gonna give up smoking cigarettes if if you smoke cigarettes um if you tell people those goals you get that rush of like yeah, you get that rush of like, ah, man, I just accomplished that goal. And then right. you get you get the rush already and you're like, well, why do I need to accomplish that goal now? I already got the good feelings or the like, good for you from the other people. Yeah. And so there's that. I mean, did that come into play at all? Or were you just like, I don't want to tell anybody because I want this to be my own thing? I believe probably... As I think back about it, Chris, I think that for me, it's just kind of my natural disposition is I'm not a big put it out there and make it public type of person anyway. I didn't feel like I needed to do that. I still don't feel like I need to do it with very much. I know people in general like to put that out there and say, make your goals public, make them known. That way you're committed and you're accountable, just as you just said. Yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to do that. If it, to, my biggest accountability comes from myself. Like that's the that's the huge euphoric feeling that I get is when I accomplish something that I put out there for myself. I don't care about what the other people think. Um, that's not to say that I don't ever care. I, everybody cares what people think to some degree. I certainly do. But I get the great feeling of I accomplished this, that, or the other when I put something out there in my own mind and accomplish it. So I don't feel, uh, in general, I don't feel a huge need to make a lot of things public when it pertains to, to goals or objectives or missions or whatever. Um, not to say I don't ever do it, and I do think there's a time and a place, but I don't ever feel like I have to do it. Yeah. If that answers the question. No, it does, man. Um... What I want you to do is lead us up to the point where you started helping coach uh, the University of Iowa. And then I think I'm going to yes, put yes. a pin in it 
And <laughs> I should have realized, man. I should have realized, like, oh, yeah, we'll never get through everything I want to talk about in an hour. Like, we'll just have to have you back on um, if that's cool. With yeah, you. no, you know, I was just thinking about that. Like, to, to get to this part, the part where we talk about, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote the struggle in terms of the career and the career path, like, um, let, yeah, let's get to that and how it happens and where I, where I began and how I got here and what I'm doing. Yeah, so, I would love to because I have so many questions about Kirk Ferentz and University of Iowa, yeah, how they no, run their I, program. Uh, you ended up go just to give people a preview. You ended up going to uh, a couple years after Iowa of just like you know smaller colleges, uh, Augustana um, in Rock Island, and then you ended up g- really hustling, man. You hustled like a like a champion. <laughs> And you ended up working your way on as the as a grad assistant on Iowa State football, and uh, and now you're coaching um, Division two, correct, in Missouri? Yes. And now you're yes. like a Division full fledged you're full fledged coach. So, right. so yeah, I want to get to all of that, man. I really, really do. Um, but I'm trying to keep these at about an hour. So, so yeah, man, lead us up to the Iowa the, the Iowa football coaching thing. Okay, so. Okay, um, trying to think of a good starting point. So, <laughs> in a way that it kind of flows with where we've been and what we've talked about in terms of Iowa City West, finish up the season there. And I had known since just before uh, the season, Iowa City West, I worked, I didn't work at camp. I went to uh, the Iowa Clinic where my, my good friend, so at the time, my good friend Mark DeLeon was working as a student assistant on defense for for uh, Norm Parker and, and a few other coaches there defensively. And he, he had told me in the spring that there could possibly be an opening for a student assistant type job, which is essentially you're a graduate assistant minus a couple duties and minus the title and a few other things. You're like the lowest so man on the totem pole. You are the lowest. You're trying to hold up the totem pole. <laughs> you're, so, you're, you're, sorry, man, I'm a dad, so I'm thinking of Yertle the Turtle. And you're the turtle at the bottom. <laughs> Name Mac. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mark tells me there's going to be an opening, probably, maybe, sort of. Would you be interested? <laughs> well, yes, absolutely, I would be. Okay, well, don't count on it happening, but there could be, and if there is, I'll get in touch. So it was like the most, like, you know, I'll throw this out there, and we'll we'll see what he says, and. And then I'll tell him he's probably not going to have anything. So the smallest anyway, chance, yeah. And so that happened in whatever April, probably April of that year. And so I just stayed in touch with Mark throughout the year as much as I could. Just uh, a few phone calls here and there, text message here and there. And now we're we're done with the football season at Iowa City West. Brian, uh, so Brian Salzer's wrapping up the year. He's doing kind of exit interviews. What do we need to do? How can we get better? Are you going to be with us next year? And before I had anything, I said, the Salzer said, no, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, and he knew that. He knew what my aspirations were. And I had a few options. And by few, I had two. Um, and I won't even go into what the other one was at the time because it doesn't matter. But Mark put it out there enough for me to believe that it could happen. So when Mark called me sometime after it was the first or second, it was, 
it was within the first week and a half of January. So, I mean, we're talking now, shoot, what, two and a half months after our season ended at Iowa City West. He said, listen, our offensive guy, uh, Charlie Bowen, who's become a good friend of mine, he's with the Dolphins now. He is leaving. He's graduating. Um, no, actually, he's not leaving. He's graduating. He's going to become the GA on defense. So there's a job opening. My job is going to open because I'm leaving, but I don't know that they're going to fill it. He's like, where's your interest? What do you want to do? I said, I, I couldn't be more interested. I want the job. He said, okay, well, I can't make any promises. The best I can do is put your name in front of Ken O'Keefe, who was the offensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes at the time. And he said, why don't we do this? I'm busy, uh, as he always is. I'm incredibly busy. Uh, let me call you back in a couple of days. I'll see what I can do. Boom. Conversation's done. It's over. The phone call's uh, over with. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm euphoric in some ways in that, hey, this is actually going to happen. Maybe, possibly, we'll see. <laughs> and then I'm also like, who knows? Like, this is, sounds like yes in some ways and probably not in a lot of ways. So anyway, Mark calls me back a few days later, and he says, okay, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to give you Charlie's number, who's becoming the GA, and I'm going to give you Ken O'Keefe's number. When we get off the phone, I want you to call Ken O'Keefe, and if he doesn't pick up because he's recruiting right now, leave him a message, and I also want you to call Charlie. So I call Ken O'Keefe. I leave him uh, you know, a lengthy, detailed message. And I called Charlie, get on the phone with him for about an hour, and he kind of vets me, feels me out. Can the guy handle the job? Does he sound halfway intelligent enough to come in here and do a decent job? That type of stuff. Yeah. And it was sort of, I think, by strategy that Charlie talked to me before Ken O'Keefe because uh, O'Keefe went to Charlie and said, hey, can the guy do it? Does he sound like he can do it just over the phone? Is he worth talking to? So... I then got on the phone with Ken O'Keefe in the next day or two. We talked for you know, 15, 20 minutes, and he's like, okay, again, I'm busy. It's January. I'm out on the road recruiting. Um, why don't you get in touch with me, you know, on Wednesday, whatever. He threw out a day. So I call him on that particular day. Don't get him. Leave him a message. Call him again. Don't get him. Leave a message. The struggle. Now, I'm not this is the struggle, man. Yeah, I'm not getting a hold of anybody. <laughs> And I'm just like, what's going on? And so I called Mark, who had already graduated and left. He had taken a job at New Hampshire. And so I said, Mark, what's, what's going on? Like, wh what do I need to do? He's like, just be patient. They're on the road. They're recruiting. They're in every high school they could be right now. Keep calling. Keep leaving messages. Don't give up type thing. I said, okay. Um, and he's like, I'm going to help you out. Okay. So rest assured, I, I felt comfortable about that. Finally, you know, it seemed like months and months and whatever, uh, just an eternity, but I got on the phone again with, with Ken O'Keefe, and we were able to set up a visit or appointment, an interview, whatever you want to call it, and I went in there, and I sat down with him in his office. I put on this crappy Iowa Hawkeye gold, black and gold tie that wasn't even mine. Uh, <laughs> Whose tie was it? Was it? It was... Uh Oh my God, dude! Was that the tie he threw out 
in New Orleans on our bachelor party to the crowd and everyone like moved away. Oh my god, okay. So he like we were singing karaoke and he like had his tie, right? And everyone's cheering and he's like, I'm gonna throw this tie in the audience, it's gonna be really cool. And he threw it and he just saw like the C part and everyone just let his tie sadly fall to the ground. So same tie. Do you remember what song was going on at the time? Bon Jovi, man. It was living on a prayer, right? Yeah, so it was, yeah, we were, we were all doing uh, karaoke to Bon Jovi, and Elliot felt like he was Bon Jovi himself. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there's a good chance that that was the tie. Uh, and you, you were also yeah, were, living on a prayer at that moment, just to tie it all together. I was. I, I was. So as I was there, you know, I, the, the best thing I was able to do as I think about it right now, um, I try not to act like starstruck, if that makes sense. Yeah. You were starstruck, but you were acting as if you I, weren't. I absolutely, I absolutely was starstruck. You know, I didn't see Coach Kirk Ferentz or, or any of the, the, the big-time players walking around, but I knew who these guys were. I, I, I'd done my research. I was an Iowa football fan at that point like i said going back to ninth grade i knew everything and so as i sat in the office with with coach o'keefe uh it was mainly communication with him and charlie for the first uh 30 to 45 minutes and then slowly like as he felt me out i think he felt like this guy is probably capable of doing the job like it's not like a a, we're going to offer him but we'll we'll feel him out and we'll continue to do that uh, he brings in uh, a guy that I won't get into too much about because I just would rather not. But he brings in the GA at the time on offense, which is Dan Clark, the uh, you know uh, Dallas Clark's brother, the, one of the most famous Iowa Hawkeyes of all time, uh, and, and just a great guy, Dallas Clark. He is for sure. Dallas I love is a phenomenal human being. We love phenomenal. Dallas Clark. Dan is Dan is all right. I'll, what, what I'll say, and I'll keep it positive, is Dan is Dan is a tremendous football coach. Um, and so I met Dan, uh, which was kind of a lukewarm uh, sort of uh, meeting or introduction, I guess, if you will. And so from there, uh, Charlie took me around the football office, and he introduced me to every one of the football coaches, uh, guys from Norm Parker to Phil Parker to to Reese Morgan, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so from there, from there, Charlie and I went into uh, the offensive staff meeting room and we talked for, you know, another hour and a half about what the job kind of entails, what the hours are going to be like, what's expected, uh, what you can do, what you can't do, where you can sit, what you can't, where you can't sit. I mean, literally, those are the things that people don't realize. When you go in there as a student assistant and even a GA for a lot of guys at a lot of places is you can sit here but not there you can sit in this seat but not that seat you can't sit at the table except for maybe occasionally here and there at this time like that's serious like you can't you could but you would have i don't know large uh testicular fortitude i guess i don't know how to put it uh you wouldn't sit at the main staff table if uh unless you were invited uh as a ga or as a student assistant you knew your role you knew your place and you didn't overstep those boundaries like your opinion your input 
it didn't matter. You were there to help and facilitate the the organization and the success of the program. That was it. You weren't there for your your advice. That's not why I was there. Yeah. So I learned right away where I fit on that that so-called totem pole, and it was it was at the bottom. There was no doubt about it. That's amazing, man. I I like I said. I want to hear. We're gonna have you back on. Um, maybe I don't know. Whenever you're not busy, in a few weeks from now or something. Uh, but I want to hear the rest of the story. And I mean, you've worked your way up the totem pole, and it hasn't been easy. I mean, <laughs> right, right. It's not easy for anybody, but I mean, it just it seems like such an intense career to career path. It seems like such an intense and unlikely career path for most people, but you've been making it work, and it's it's really inspiring to me. Um, you know, and I want to hear all the lessons you've learned because you've been around some great leaders and I, I just want to see what you've, what lessons you've gained from them because selfishly, I want to gain those lessons as best I can. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I'm man. I'm fortunate to be around some great guys, some great leaders and awesome lessons that i've learned from them definitely dude well yeah we'll have you back on in a couple weeks or a few months or whenever it works with your schedule because now you are the coach out on the recruiting trail and i don't know if you have some student assistant calling you 50 times but are you a little more like sympathetic like now can you see it from his like okie's perspective uh yeah i i definitely i certainly understand like the the just the general busyness of what you get caught up in day to day and how many people you interact with that for me at that time a guy looking for a job and for him at that time a guy looking for his next whatever quarterback receiver running back like the priorities there's a there's a line of priorities and I was I was down that line yeah awesome man awesome well thank you for coming on dude Dude, it's been awesome. I love it. I'm glad I get a chance to do it again. Um, I can't wait till we do it again. All right. Sounds good, man. Do you want to leave everybody on a cliffhanger? Um, I Gosh, that puts me on the spot. Like I, I, hmm. I try to think about what I'd even say. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what I'd say. I don't even know. All right, man. Well, <laughs> I was trying to think of one, too. I, I couldn't think of one i i will say this though shane this has been an hour and 11 minutes and it's probably as the same length as the best man speech you gave at my wedding (laughs) (laughs) you know if i could go back and do it over again i don't know that i would because it that it was so phenomenal in so many different ways that it was probably just god awful but um yeah i I would love to improve upon that one at some point in my life uh which i'll never get a chance to but uh people will remember that one forever would you improve by yeah would you improve by deletion or addition we just add more stories uh no i would i would subtract but add by by just keeping it a little bit more uh maybe just i just shorten it a little bit (laughs) You still talk about the splinter a little bit, huh? Which we won't mention. Oh, there's anymore, no but... doubt. Okay, there's cool. Things you can't leave out. 
All right, man. Uh, yeah, man, we'll, we'll catch up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's where we're going to stop for today. Uh, we'll have Shane back because there's more to the story. Um, we didn't even really get into the struggle, which is what I meant to get into. <laughs> Because ultimately, I'm just really impressed by Shane's mindset and his never quit attitude. Um, I just started reading this book. And by just started, I mean literally like 15 minutes before doing this podcast. I read, I'm not even on, you know, when you're in the forward of the book and you aren't even to page numbers yet, there's just X's and V's and I's and stuff. I'm not even to the V's yet. I'm just at the X's and I's at this point. But (laughs) so I literally just started reading this book called The Adversity Advantage. And uh, it's by, oh man, uh, Eric Wine. Why? Oh, this is where I just butcher someone's name. And I apologize to Eric. I can pronounce your first name. Eric Weihenmayer. And he was the first blind man to do the seven summits, which is the top, the tallest mountains on each continent. And he wrote the book, uh, co-wrote the book, The Adversity Advantage, uh, Turning Everyday Struggles into Everyday Greatness. And I wanted to bring this up because it made me think about Shane and his, his mindset. It's kind of the idea of how do we treat obstacles in our lives? Because we all face them. Everyone's going to face obstacles. If you're living a life where you're facing zero obstacles, first of all, I think you were a liar. But second of all, you're probably living a pretty boring life and maybe you're not striving for the greatness that you can achieve. So we, have, we face these obstacles, but it's how do you look at them? Do you look at them in a negative light or do you look at them in a positive light? Because everyone's going to face obstacles, so why not look at them as stepping, what they are, stepping stones towards what you're trying to achieve. And that's what the adversity advantage is about. So here's a little quote from the book. Um, it says, there is one common trait found in all greatness, how people use the space between stimulus and response. In short, how do people deal with adversity, with setbacks, with suffering, heartache, disappointment, and injustice? Do they become victims consumed by the metastasizing cancers of cynicism, criticizing, complaining, comparing, competing, and contending? Or do they learn to harness the power, energy, and wisdom embodied in the difficult moment? So I kind of want to leave you guys there this week. When you're facing this adversity, these obstacles, are you letting them break your spirit or are you using them as tools to get to where you need to be, to get to where you want to be? So that's a powerful message. This is a powerful book. It's called The Adversity Advantage. Uh, by Eric Weihenmayer. Probably saying that wrong. Apologize, Eric. Um, you can also read another book called The Obstacle is the Way, which is would be in my top 10 books to change your life. Um, the Obstacle is, in, is the Excuse me. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's fantastic. Check out both these, Adversity Advantage and Obstacle is the Way. And uh, yeah, go get them this week. Um, Make those obstacles 
stepping stones towards towards your ultimate goals, whatever your ultimate goal may be. And as always, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like this, enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can check us out on SoundCloud or at our website, www.likeabigfoot.com. I really, 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 really appreciate you guys listening. I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a lot, and I hope you guys are too. Thanks. Have a good week.